Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of Design Museum Everywhere. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who's an expert in their field. And together we interview a guest about their work in design because design is everywhere. And so are we. This week, we're chatting about the designs in virtual reality and mixed reality, augmented reality. I'll be joined by my good friend, Gustavo Fontana, who's the co-founder and creative director at Fresco Design, a forward-thinking product design studio. And later on, we'll chat with Abraham Raskin, an augmented reality designer and founder and CEO of the coolest name of an AR company there is, AR by AR which helps startups and individuals build augmented reality experiences into new or existing products. Together, we'll chat about the future of augmented and mixed reality and the potential to change the way we interact with one another, interact with the world, you name it. But first, I want to recognize some of our newest members and partners at the museum. Shout out to Thought Matter, the design firm in New York who recently came on as a gold level partner. And then we have Randy Chaplin, who is a new magazine subscriber and another magazine subscriber, Ritika Ramesh. So thank you and big shout out to all of our members. Your support makes the show and everything we do at the museum possible. If you like this podcast, Design Museum Everywhere has all kinds of programs and initiatives to join, enjoy, you can become part of a global community of design thinkers and change makers. We have our online exhibitions, live events, our magazine. We provide our members with really unique opportunities to learn about, engage with, and experience design. I really feel like we bring the world of design to your doorstep. Anywhere in the world, if you have an internet connection, you can be part of Design Museum Everywhere. If you have an address, you can get the magazine. So check us out, visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on membership. And with that, onto this week's topic. Let's go back in the time machine. The summer of 2016, the Pokemon Go craze consumed the public. Around the world, fans carried their phones outside to catch their very own Pokemon in real life. That was like augmented reality on the scene. It brought that imagination into the real world, redefining the world as we know it, as we see it. I'm joined by our guest co-host this week, Gustavo Fontana, to learn about how digital and real experiences are being blended through various technologies. Gustavo started Fresco Design five years ago to build the kind of design company he always wanted to hire, but he could never find. They're mixing front-end design innovation with full hands-on expert execution in all forms, physical industrial design, design for manufacturing, user experience, 3D development, visualization, model making, and customer-facing AR, VR experiences. With his partner, Danielle Shaheen, they run a multicultural team of designers and programmers focused on design excellence. They wrote an awesome article for the Business of Design issue of Design Museum Magazine, so check that out. And I just remembered that Gustavo was on the first episode of Design is Everywhere. So Gustavo, welcome back to the show. Hi, Sam. It's great to be back here. Yeah, it's always good to see you. Even though our listeners can't see you, I can. And it's great to see your face. So can you walk us through some of these new technologies? It's easy to say things like VR, AR, MR. What does this all mean? Maybe, you know, I think people probably know VR best as virtual reality. 
what's the current state of VR? And then how does that move into sort of like augmented reality and mixed reality? I kind of think of it separate uh, and it's separate for circumstance of where they live. VR, it takes a lot more effort to do a VR project because everything is virtual. Right, so you you have nothing. Uh, you have you know you have an empty canvas, and you have to start building from scratch every single aspect of it. And then you need much heavier computers. You need all this, uh, you know, performance stuff. And the reason, because it's also so uh, production heavy, it tends to be used for like kind of large enterprise, a lot of automotive companies, aerospace things like that, because it's a lot of capital investment to in, in human capital to to get that right. And AR is kind of the opposite, right? AR is saying, hey, let's just put this in, a, in anyone's, you know, as of today, devices, which are phones. That's what we all have. So now you have something, you know, how can we make something super fast to load, super easy that, you know, a consumer that doesn't even know any of this technology can just tap and click something and just make it see and works. So they're emerging a little bit, but not so much yet. I think some of the Facebook stuff is doing some of that, but their VR is very um, kind of low end. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's very like cartoony. I, my first experience, I think, with augmented reality was when we were at Bose, actually, and I can't remember the company, but it was like they had an iPad, and like we were in a room, and like when you looked at the screen, of the iPad, all of a sudden there was a car in that room with us, and you were like, oh, this is, and you could move the iPad around and see the whole, you know, and it seemed so seamless. And then, you, like I mentioned in the intro, you get to something like. Pokemon Go, where you've got these <laughs> creatures like in the real world. What is like the technology stack you know, that's getting us from looking at thinking about this in terms of our listeners who might seem like a Pixar movie where it's like this computer generated thing that is static for the most part. It's like it's set to something that's fully dynamic. And I'm like walking around the car with my iPad or walking around this Pokemon. Like, how does that technology all come together to create that experience? You got assets and then you got experiences, right? And then you have platforms and, you know, what are you going to put them? And they, they all have to kind of play together. If we think about AR, like I mentioned, most in the commodity space, when you create something, uh, first of all, it can't be just this, like, a door that you don't know where it's going and do AR, uh, meaning you have to get people some hints that, hey, you're going to see this thing. So maybe a 3D viewer on the web. So you start with a web viewer, especially in things like e-commerce and stuff like that, right? And after that, you're like, okay, now that I got to spin this around, I want to see that in my space. If it's a bicycle, I want to see how big that is. If it's a car, does it fit in my garage, right? And then once you do that, you have to make seamless the fact that you don't know exactly what device they have. You don't know if it's like a, you know, is it a brand new iPhone you know, 13 Pro Max? So is it an uh, some Android that is a $200 the Poco something, right? And so you have to work for all of that, right, together. I say it starts in the model, then all the texturing, uh, all the animation that goes with it, and then all the triggers to start making things happen. And triggers get funny, right, because they're they're still a very new and growing and different per, per device that you use. Is it like, I'm trying to like equate it, is it like making like a PDF? Like you make a PDF, you can open it on any device, but like a 3D model, like you said, has different textures, colors, capabilities. Is that all baked into the file regardless of like what you're opening it on? Some of it it is. So um, the traditional approach that most companies are doing right now is when you if either you have a model from a client or, or your, you know, your engineering team, if it's, let's say, a product, right, a CAD model, or you don't have the model or, or the model is not that good for you to be useful. And, and in that case, you do a 3D scan. 
uh, e either way, you're gonna have to remodel and retopologize the, the the thing because a typical cat model it will make every single phone crash. Yeah. Uh, so you need something right. that you, you really. If you look at the old school video games where you see all these faceted models, right? Uh, you want to do basically that, but make sure that there's no facets in the areas of curvature so you don't see it. But if you want to see this in wireframe, uh, it's not as detailed as you think it is. A lot of these texture bump maps and, and you know, when you zoom bump and any kind of displacements or normal maps, what it does is creates the illusion of, of reveals and little, you know, you know, peaks and valleys. But the geometry doesn't have any, right? Yeah, it's just kind of like an image that's mapped onto a surface. Right. And and a lot of that is has become a standard with uh, formats like GLTF and USD. And, and then you in that format, you can maintain that information. The one thing that most people don't do that we actually figured out a way to do it is that now if you're modeling for that, you know, today's capabilities of devices, you're going to have this faceted model that in the future, five years from now, it's just too, it's just too low end, right? So we prefer to do more of a master model, like archival quality, super smooth, in which we can then decimate it down controllably to, to the technology of the year, right? Especially if, you, if you're making a product that is going to be in the market for multiple years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How has this all, you know, we're talking about this sort of as like the, the endpoints. How has augmented reality, virtual reality changed Fresco's design process? I don't think it changed it a lot uh, in terms of the the current disciplines that we, we uh, traditional design disciplines that we have. We just added more, right? Um, and by adding them more, allows us to then sneak them in a little bit in the traditional design process when you know a client wants to see something in AR or VR. Uh, but the, the amount of production work to these projects is not something that it's like it's just there for free, right? So unless you're really in a purpose of making this happen, uh, you won't be using it at the same level. We may still use it. You can do VR in your computer with a really souped-up computer in something that is not decimated. And so if you can do that directly from Rhino, from Blender, Unreal, or anything like that. But that's different than preparing something for mass consumption. Just to give you, just to give you a sense, right? Right now. We are working in one AR project that is a couple of uh, child seats. It's taking about three people, three weeks. When when all the CAD and all the jams, everything was done just to make them AR ready, right? Mm. So you're talking about, you know, 360 hours of work, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's not something that you can tell a client, hey, you want to see this in AR? Hold on, I'll be right back. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, because that was like, I was trying to see, like, does it help show, like, concepts to clients? Just like we talk about him actually in like a consumer, like, oh, I can see this coffee table in my living room. Does it help a client to see this design of this headphone and I can put it on someone's head if I look through my phone? You can in a, in a more rougher way. I think of the physical models that you did at the shop, right, when we were at Bose, and then you could make a phone model and you paint it gray, so now you have something. You can totally do that, right? But once you start bringing all the texture and all the other stuff, and it's like that's where all the work goes, right? Yeah, yeah. What are some other examples that you've seen of this, either like from a design standpoint or like in the direct, you know, consumer experience where AR is kind of changing the game? I think there's more to be seen than, than what we have seen. I think the problem is there is a bit of a lack of imagination in, in the industry, where you know everybody is doing the sofa and the furniture piece and they said well how many of those are you going to buy how many of those are you going to need how often is that happening and the other part is when we do talk to companies about this they are terrified they're terrified to, to bring this in because it's like i'm going to put 
my 3D models to out to the world and yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Really, it's not your secret cat model. It's, yeah. it's different, it's not... you know. <laughs> you know, no one is gonna do you know, they, they can scan your model and right. have closer, more fidelity stuff that, that is already in the market anyway, right? So and a lot of it is that and 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 also there's there's a lot of companies that are doing a lot of talk about the space, but in reality, it's like, I think they did a bit of a disservice uh, without meaning. You know, they're trying to be so positive and they say, oh, this is easy. You just use our plugin and you put it on our website and the e-commerce platform, blah, 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 and you just put the models in. And this reminds me that happened, uh, if you recall, maybe a t- 10 years ago or, or, or longer when it, 3D printing was the same. You just get, a, everybody gets a 3D printer in the garage and you know your knob of the washing machine broke, just hit knob. Right, and it's like, and they're like, "What are the knobs?" You know, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Where, where are I the mean, files? Even today, it would be hard to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think it's it's compared to that phase uh, that we see that we're talking is it's moving a lot faster right now. Like we are working with a client uh, doing some really fancy products uh, for very fancy sport that they're taking the entire product line 3D on the web. Full configurators because they customize everything, every little color, every patch, every name. Uh, you can put your own name on the product and and you know and all that kind of stuff. And you see all that in 3D on the web and then on AR. But those are you know six month projects, right? With three to six people. Yeah, but it does seem like like my wife was looking for new glasses and did like the Warby Parker, you know, virtual try on, and there she is like on her yes. iPad like with trying on just like so it. There's got to be some, you know, neither of you, you nor I are psychologists, but there has to be something around like decision making when it comes to being able to like see those glasses or to your point, like if you're configuring a product ca- called a car, right? And you can change so much that ultimately you want to see it the way you want to see it, which is in reality before you, you know, drop whatever, 2000, 3000, 20,000. Right. And that's what we, we tell people that and interested to do this, like, you know, clients or prospective clients, we, we are very honest. We say, look, this is a, this is an investment like anything else. Like if you're going to put a billboard in, you know, Times Square, right? It's like, there's got to make sense for you to do it. And, you know, do you want to do this today to the whole product line? Probably not. But to your hero products? Yes, you do. Right. Uh, I think that the, the other thing that people do, in my opinion, wrong is that they go the cheap route. Right. And, and then now it's like, yeah, of course, you can automate decimation and texture and all that stuff. And you can throw a, a three cat model in one end and something comes to the other end. But it's like, that is not going to do the job. The job is like, it needs to look gorgeous and, and say, I want this. Yeah. Yeah. Is the game changer going to be like when we actually have this technology built into like glasses that like aren't a huge computer in my head, but that like look and feel like the glasses that I'm wearing right now? I think if you see the the power that now you can do and things like the, the chipset that you have in a phone, uh, it, it, it's undeniable that it is going there. Uh, I don't think so much of a technology issue. I was talking with, with Matt in our, our work at lunch today about this, and, and we were saying, you know, the, the more immersive and the more part of your life something is, the more you're going to think twice what kind of permissions you give this product, this brand, this service to to be in there, right? And I, I will say, like, think of those people who are with headphones all day long, listening to music. So now they have a soundtrack. Their life is on a soundtrack, right? Personally, I don't do it that much, uh, but I know a lot of folks that we both know that this is what they do. Well, they wouldn't want to do that if what they're listening is ads in there. They don't want to, yeah, you know, right, so, exactly. <laughs> so the same thing here. It's like, you know, if, if this 
it, this system is something that, you know, Google Maps is super useful, but at the same time, I know I'm not their customer, right? Like a lot of what they point him into is to, for them and, and their customers to, to, to so, so I can consume their whatever coffee shop they show me and things like that. And I think this is the same. Like the more you're going to have it in front of you, the more you're going to be something that's like, you know, I'm your customer. Do something that matters to me, right? This is for me the excitement of the, the Apple, you know, so rumor, you know, incoming uh, AR platform. It's something that I respect a lot because I know like it's going to give users, you're going to pay for that one time and then it's yours and then it's catered to you. Yeah, that's definitely the future. That's awesome. Thank you, Gustavo, for giving us an overview. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Listeners, to see more of Gustavo's work, visit fresco-design.com slash AR, and you'll see all kinds of cool examples of augmented reality there. And Gustavo, please stick around, and we'll bring Abraham Raskin into the conversation after a quick break. Design Museum Everywhere's week-long event, Design Museum Week, is coming soon. Join us April 25th to 29th to celebrate accomplishments, share new ideas, and inspire through design. The week will reconceptualize design's role in 21st century systems and issues through dozens of events that mash up our 12 impact areas. Workplace, business, play, entrepreneurship, sustainability, education, healthcare, social impact, data visualization, diversity, vibrant cities, and civic innovation. Design Museum Week 2022 will feature five days of hybrid online, offline events that spark conversation, inspire leaders, and educate professionals working in all areas of design. While most sessions will be virtual, we look forward to welcoming attendees for in-person gatherings as well in cities across the U.S. Go to designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on events to get your tickets today. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Avraham Raskin, who's an explorer, futurist, and augmented reality designer. Avraham started his professional career at Meta, one of the first AR startups in Silicon Valley. Now he helps companies trying to navigate their way into this new paradigm using an approach that is seamless and focused on natural design. He is the founder and CEO of AR by AR, which helps startups and individuals build augmented reality experiences into new or existing products. He also contributes to the design work at Sparks, where they instantly transform any empty apartment into a home. Abraham's designs build the reality of the future. Abraham, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. I'd love to hear about your sort of like journey into this new AR space. Like, what's your background? Sure. So I guess it starts as a young Australian. I was super uh, interested in sci-fi books. That was just immersed myself into all types of books. Sci-fi was the one that I loved. I you know, Snow Crash, The Diamond Age. These are books that really shaped my childhood. And I guess I would walk around and I would see the world with whether it's holograms or what we call AI now, this whole world around me just kind of just made sense and it's how I perceive the world growing up. Um, and then later on with like Iron Man, different movies coming along. So that was me, augmented reality. Uh, I love nanotech, AI. These were things that really, really uh, would get me excited. 
And um, a couple of years later in uh, 20 Under 20, I was having a chat with uh, one of the mentors there and I was talking to him about augmented reality and I was telling him how I really wanted to like kill off the computer. I wanted to get rid of the keyboard, the mouse, the screen. It needed to be gone. He actually told me later, he didn't tell me then, told me later, but he thought I was a bit of a nap. <laughs> Fast forward a couple of years uh, in the future, I was in Peru and I get a call from him and he had just gotten started in a small little startup called Meta. And he told me that the, the CEO was like all passionate about all these new ideas. And he was talking to him about things that I had discussed with him years ago. So he said, you got to come over. So they flew me down and I got started there, um, first designer there on the team. And uh, it was my job to kind of craft the user interface, craft how that world works. It, it was up to me to just think beyond everything, beyond the keyboard, beyond the mouse, beyond everything we had, things that I've been speaking about, and to be able to try craft what this world would be. We were joined later on by one of the great designers in Hollywood, at least according to me, Jay's Hansen. He's one of the designers on Iron Man, and uh, I'm sure you've seen him on some more films recently. He's pretty much on every, anything that's got a futuristic user interface is on. And together we helped kind of craft the design team we were basically thinking about how can, how you can build this world. He had done this in the movie world. And we would have this conversation. We'd go back and forth of how to bring something like in the movie world. In Hollywood, you can go unlimited. And you can think of doing crazy stuff. To build that in reality, it's a completely different story. So kind of my job in here was to work with him and bring some of those ideas that we've had in sci-fi books and movies and you know, bring that futuristic user interface, but into the real world. Then I moved over, moved on to Israel, and there it was interesting to me because in Meta we would meet with all these high-profile people in all these you know big tech companies, and we would be introducing them to the augmented world. So back then, this was just before around the time that Google Glass came out and was just starting. Everybody was super interested in the beginnings of like starting off these augmented reality glasses. It was our job to kind of like explain it to them and like introduce them to this new world. And then I moved to Israel, which arguably is like the second biggest place after Silicon Valley. And I noticed that I'd had to start again from scratch. People like didn't know augmented reality again. And what I saw is that people had kind of this, this sense of augmented reality. They either were coming from one of two directions. They either saw Pokemon Go, which was just coming out at that time, and they were like, okay, cool, this is fun, but we're seeing tons of people in the streets. I'm not a teenager. I don't just, you know, walk mindlessly onto the road with my phone. Yeah, did it like do a disservice to it by like making it more juvenile maybe? Yeah, it was definitely seen as like, it was seen as interesting and new, but like people would be like, I'm not a teenager. I don't play Pokemon. I'm not running on the street. You know, that's for kids. And then you had the other... Uh, side of the spectrum, which is Iron Man and all these Hollywood films with these fantastical universes. And that'd be like, I'm not a billionaire, you know, tech crazy <laughs> I'm not guy. Tony Stark. Yeah, I'm not Tony Stark. I don't have an AI. I, you know, I don't have Jarvis. So this is not for me. So most people would say, okay, cool. Explain to me augmented reality, but they, they wouldn't get it. And so what I started doing at that time, is I started creating little shorts. I uh, posted them up onto Instagram and social media, showcasing the everyday AR. And I wanted it that someone could watch this quick video and go, that could have really helped me today. Or I really see how I could have used that, you know, in the real world. And from there, what I do now is I help 
uh, I consult, I advise companies how to build augmented reality as it's augmented reality is a new paradigm. When you move to a new paradigm, people can see what they, th you know, they look in the media or they hear the buzzwords and they just immediately just, I want that. But when you move paradigms, it's a completely different world. And, and when you, when you hear about things that are kind of in the media, it's certain examples, like someone takes like, you know, Pokemon Go, or they take the next, like Snapchat just goes into it, or like small little things. And then ideas come around them, but it's like, I want to, people are like, I have a product, but I want to do that. And it's like, that's a good idea, but it doesn't necessarily fit with you, or let's think in a completely different way. So it's, how do you help educate people? How do you help see the potential for augmented reality? Not being this gimmick, not being this tiny little, like a game or, you know, just, in a, in, a, in a fantasy world, but really as something that's used day to day, something that's going to actually get rid of our computers, our keyboards and mice and move into a completely new paradigm. Thinking about like the everyday AR that you mentioned, what's your vision and what visions are you seeing out there? Like how can and should AR sort of shape how humans interact with each other, with the world? Like what are you thinking about in that space? It's interesting because when you look at today, you look at people with, especially let's say the smartphone, a lot of us see the negatives of it nowadays, of how it takes us away from the world. It's something that it has brought us massive power, but it's also kind of on the other end, take us, taking us away from each other, it's like socially. Like you have all the scenes where you go on like the subway and you know, no one's speaking to each other. Everyone's stuck in, you know, their faces are stuck in like a small little rectangle. The proper augmented reality, where we get to it, like natural augmented reality, is when we really step into merging those two worlds together uh, seamlessly, where it's no longer the real world and the digital world. The digital world really augments the real world seamlessly, naturally. It's something that is, is there. So we have all the benefits of the knowledge, of the connections, um, but it doesn't require us to disengage from other people. It still allows us to be completely present. Um, and I think that that's going to help foster communications in a complete different way than what we have nowadays with, you know, whether it's our phones or headphones or things like that nowadays. What are some interactions, like specific interactions that you think could like be augmented or improved by either having more information or having visuals? But how are you thinking about this in a natural way? So for me, yeah, natural and seamless are the two words that I really attach to augmented reality and where it is going to be completely different. I think that you should never be blocking the face, for example, if it's, if it's not required. I have quite a lot of videos that I actually didn't have time to end up bringing out, but one of them had actually come from an idea of like when you go to a meetup, there's so much, there's so many people there, there's so many good networks that are the perfect for you but unless you're like amazing at it or you know people sometimes you don't connect with the right person and so i think we can start off with simple ideas like their name but then i was like what if we can go further what's a what's a better idea and if we think about it all our social medias or let's say link let's look at linkedin we've got a lot of information on there that you and i don't know about each other until we like browse through linkedin but if we had our AIs or our personal assistants that did that browsing for us, what they could do is they don't just tell us the name, but they might say, hey, you, you, you guys both like sailing. And suddenly it's something that they can say, you like sailing and you like augmented reality. So it now allows you to have something to talk about, but also it brings things up that sometimes might take 
two hours or might even never surface in a, in a conversation and make it real. Now, you can argue and say, you know, that's not natural. But I think in a way, in a way, it's a little bit more natural because it allows you to bring up things. So you don't, you don't wait three hours to bring up a conversation or find the connection. You can find it earlier. And now, now that you have that, t- that starting point, now you can go to the next one and you can, you can make a much deeper connection where before you might've both talked and both been a little bit awkward or something, and you might've never found the connection and then stopped the conversation and moved on. So here, yes, those small little points might not have brought you together, but it's fostered a much deeper relationship and a much deeper connection. I like what you're saying here, because I think in a way, this is this, this whole concept of augment, augmenting experiences, right? This is, it could create uh, some kind of synergies and, and serendipities, if you will, manufacture in this case, that otherwise wouldn't happen. So I think a lot of people think of, okay, I'm going to put these glasses on. I'm going to see all this extra stuff to do the same thing and have the same kind of experiences I have today. And then in that case, the value proposition is not so great, but it really allows you to augment those possible connections, those uh, uh, affinities, making friends, uh, doing better an activity or something like that. That's what really starts sounding appealing to everyone, not just tech enthusiasts. Yeah, there was there was another example actually. One of the one of the products I was working on building then was augmented sound, um, and this idea of building this part of the augmented world that I think most people have looked over. Um, I mean, in my view, and it goes on from the natural, you know, what is augmented reality being natural is augmented reality. I think most people get hung up on the vision part. And I think they forget to realize that augmented reality or the computer of the future is actually going to be all your five senses or even more than that. But even though the vision is our main, uh, is our dominant sense, we've still got four more. And to communicate or to have a reality laid on top of our reality, it's why should it stop at just vision, right? There's there's more there's more senses that we should um, be connected to. So there was that project of augmented sound and, and tackling that aspect. But something along these lines is I was on a I was riding the bus one day, and I was sitting next to someone. I realized like everyone's got their headphones on and listening to their own music. So when we wear headphones or when we have earphones in we put up a, like a psychological barrier and we're basically telling other people like, I don't want to be connected to you, which is one of the things that augmented sound is supposed to um, actually solve. But one thing I realize is w- when I have sound in, it's not necessarily all the time that I'm saying to other people, I don't want to communicate with you. Sometimes it's like, I'm not going to sit there waiting for someone to speak to me. So I'm going to listen to a podcast. Or I'm going to listen to music, but it doesn't mean I don't want to have a, you know, a spontaneous, interesting conversation. So I was thinking it could be, What's a, what's a point of starting a conversation is could be like it's the music you're listening to. So if you allow it, yeah, obviously I'm not going to say everyone's going to be sharing their Spotify playlists, but if you so allow it, it could be that when I'm on the bus and I'm looking at you, I could see exactly like the song you're listening to, or maybe your next couple songs of the playlist, and that could be a conversation starter. Or I could click on that and start listening with you. And that has also fostered another point of communication where currently we like the way we do it is we're siloed and we don't allow these connections to happen, but really we're not always looking. I mean, and if I don't want to speak to someone, I can obviously not turn that on, but these are forms of communication and and connection that kind of our our technology right now shuts us off from the world instead of opening us up. Sometimes I think about um, this all or nothing, the, the, you know, we as humans, especially with something new, right? We, we tend to judge it to decide, do I, 
I need to decide now if I'm against so you know this so I'm all for it and if I'm all for it I'm gonna have to wear these glasses all day long forever it's starting you know this year I guess so next year and what are your thoughts of this more of a uh, situational or experiences where you're like, you know what, maybe this is something I use when I go skiing. Maybe this is something that I use when I'm traveling and there are places where I want these training wheels, right? I want something that is there with me to to augment the and, amend me and support me. But maybe in my everyday when, you know, I'm walking the dog, I'm not interested in that or doing something where I don't need this extra helper. So I, I think it, it it also comes back to, I mean, I think we're seeing a, a pattern over here where today's computers, the way that they're designed, even physically, we they are our masters, right? So let's say right now I wanted to be, let's say I've got to have a recording or I've got to have a computer. So I've got to put, you know, place myself in a seating position where the camera can see me or my, my computer has to be close to um, an outlet to be able to be charged so it doesn't die in the middle, you know, of a recording. We, in, in an office, the way in, the way the office is structured, the way that we work, everything is structured and the computer is the master. We, we move to the computer. I mean, more and more it's becoming simpler and operating systems have worked, you know, from going from command line down to being as simple as, you know, a touch face, you know, mobile operating systems that they're becoming easier to use, but they're still very much geared towards you have to make them happy, right? You're there, they're the master and you're kind of like, bowing to their whim. They don't really necessarily learn your likes and dislikes. And I think that this is part of the paradigm that we're moving towards. Dare I say Google's new design, I, I can't remember if it's called uh, Google U or something like that, the design language for what was called material and for, for Android, I'm not an Android user, but their language is basically becoming a lot more uh, customizable. And it's not just like you can change like the wallpaper or anything. It changes everything, like the, the colors, the theme, everything is changing based on like what you're doing or what you like, like the whole computer changes. I think it's a very small change, but we will start, we, we are moving into this place where the computer actually is learning our likes, our dislikes, you know, our interests, things like that, and is going to be morphing around that. So besides actually freeing us physically, I think we are going to move into that place where it is on the computer to learn, like, yeah, now I'm interested in having, you know, pop-ups, you know, or information, or now I'm not. Now I'm walking my dog and I'm interested in that. So maybe show me information about, you know, directions or finding other people that like dogs or, you know, finding that connection or even not step back and have nothing. But this, the, the amount that we connect with our computers, that is definitely something that our devices need to start learning from us, where we need to flip this switch and say, you know, we are the masters, we're the ones, and the computers need to be learning us and, and accommodating us, our wants and our needs, rather than the other way around. So I do think that this is definitely the direction that we are slowly moving towards, but we, we need to be moving towards. Some of the unknown parts of a lot of this technology is the amount of work that it takes, right? Like one thing is to have a, a vision for something or a sketch for something. And then from that is like to make in that real, you're talking, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours through that work. Do you see this becoming something that becomes much more everyday, like doing a website is today with some, you know, Squarespace or Wix or whatever, right? Yeah, I, that, that's that, that's super interesting. I remember years ago, I was I was actually remember exactly where I was walking, and I was thinking because back in that that was close to where I was like learning to program, and I was like, imagine if I didn't have to sit there coding every single letter. Imagine if I could just explain to my computer and say, I want this, you know, have a conversation, talk with my computer. 
And we're actually seeing that nowadays with AI. Um, just yesterday, I got um, I got a link. Actually, my cousin had a link um, on on Product Hunt. He just released where he made the, um, the the visuals for a music video, and he used an AI. And it's it's still up on one of my tabs because I thought it was actually it's pretty beautiful. And he was showing the power of the AI of how you can feed it certain words or certain things, and it just does all the visuals for you. It does the it does all the work for you. And we're seeing this also with coding, where we are getting we we are we have projects already that you can already start explaining like things that you want, and it starts creating it for you. And I back then I was I was visualizing this future where we went sitting there talking and like the, the same thing with programming languages like a couple you know decades ago when they first started it was very very low level and then every kind of couple of years or so we added la- layers and layers on top until we had like i'd say python uh, in the last couple of years where it's the syntax is nearly like english right and then the layers on top of that is when you pair that with ai and different frameworks you start getting places where you're literally going to have a conversation or soon you're going to even just think about it and you're go- and everybody's going to become a creator. You're not going to need the years of learning that. So I think this is going into like the direction of AI, um, but I think it also, it, all these things I think are merging towards a point that is becoming natural seamless where, you know, in, a- in AI, the it's, it's going to get so powerful where you're going to be able to converse with it in a more natural manner, let's say in your own, tongue and explain explain what you want out of uh, uh, you know what you want the end result to be but you also have augmented reality where you're not going to be learning an operating system or learning what is the difference between operating systems nowadays like people are switching very easily between like let's say ios and android like what is the difference between mobile operating systems people still arguing about oh what's better but really in reality it's not a crazy amount of difference even with windows and mac like the differences are getting smaller it's we're getting to a point where we're not learning the system. The system's going to be learning us. And when we have that, we're just going to have billions of creators walking around because that bar to become a creator has just come all the way down where anyone naturally could, that has an idea will be able to go ahead and build it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your vision. This is exciting. I'm, I'm ready for it. It's been amazing. Listeners, to see more of Abraham's work and check out some cool AR examples and some of the shorts that he mentioned, visit arbyar.com. Now it's that time. Every week we share our weekly dose of good design. These are our examples of good, thoughtful design that has impacted us or others in a meaningful way. I will go first. And I never thought I'd share something like this as a parent, but man, pandemics really do something to you. So my weekly dose is a show called Coco Melon. Coco Melon is basically an hour-long 3D animated song fest. I think every song is maybe like five minutes, so there are a lot of songs in the hour, and my kids love this show. I'm surprised they do because there's no plot, there's no story at all, and I think that's actually, my kids are young, my oldest is four and my youngest is two, And they kind of get scared by any kind of conflict at this age. They're kind of like, I don't want bad things to happen. So Coco Melon is just like a love fest, sing along. There are basically 3D animated characters that sing about letters, numbers, animal sounds, colors. There was a song about Taekwondo. There's one about swimming. And I found that like, I don't know, I heard my daughter singing this song about like the days of the week. And she's like, just nailed it. So 
it's been great to have something in our home to be like, you know what, mom and dad need a break. Just throw on the cocoa melon and kids love it. Um, they are really, uh, I dug into a little bit of the research behind, you know, they started on YouTube and the goal has always been to like, how do you engage and entertain children and also make it, you know, educational uh, and universally relatable. So I think they're doing really good job. And I didn't mean to theme it, but it is, it's 3D animated. So someone's, you know, building these characters on the computer and uh, putting this together. So yeah, check out Coco Melon on YouTube or on Netflix. Gustavo, what are you thinking about this week? Actually, I have two in uh, because they counteract each other's damage, I guess. Uh, so uh, my first one is the it was a big success since this summer and still going uh, is the, the pizza over the Unicoda 16. It's a wonderful talk about design for experience, right? Uh, it makes amazing. You feel like you're, you're this powerful uh, you know, pizzaiolo from Napoli, and and you make great pizzas, but it's a really social. It's really fun. It, it it's it's a running joke. Uh, as, as whenever I go to friends' houses, they're like, "Is are you bringing a pizza oven?" Right, uh, and and we do. Uh, so I really recommend looking into that. Uh, my friend Bob McNeil is the one who got me hooked into the whole pizza crazy. Uh, and I do recommend a book that goes with it, which is called The Elements of Pizza by uh, Ken Forkish. Beautiful learning experience. And the second one to counteract that is, okay, you got to burn those calories, yes. right? Um, I've been living in New England for about 20 years. I would say this is my kind of second winter and pandemic kind of cost this that i start enjoying winter uh and i start enjoying winter by also getting really good gear that makes it easy to go out and and in a lot of walks a lot of hikes uh we live right next to a forest which is wonderful and for me is the hokas anakapa boots it's it's so cool to see a, a company like hoka making really pushing the envelope in terms of design, comfort, performance, and then uh, seeing how beautiful the boots are and also how comfortable they are. They don't feel like a hiking boot. They really feel like sneakers, but you can walk through anything, waterproof and all that. And, and seeing the craftsmanship of this stuff, and it's really mesmerizing. So I really enjoy them. That's awesome. I'll have to check those out. Thanks for sharing. Listeners, if you have a great weekly dose of good design, Share it with me and I will share it on the podcast. So you can always tweet your cool design stuff to me on Twitter at Sam Aquilano. Gustavo, it's a joy. I love chatting with you. Thanks so much for being here. Same here, Sam. Great to see you. That's our show. Again, I want to thank Gustavo Fontana and Abraham Raskin for joining us. And thank you all for listening. We'll post links to the resources we discussed today on our episode page. Just visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and in the menu, click on podcast. You can always find the latest from us on social media. On Twitter, we're at design underscore museum. And on Instagram, we're at Design Museum Everywhere. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. We have an awesome weekly email newsletter where you'll hear all about what's coming up from the Design Museum. Sign up for that right on our website. And please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Design Is Everywhere, anywhere you listen to podcasts. It really helps us reach more people so we can keep chatting about the transformative power of design each week. Thanks for that. We really appreciate your support. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amor Yates. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. 
For the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for being here and we'll talk again next week. <laughs>